And are we leaving a clear path for others to follow? There are Christians out there that they don't leave a clear path. You're not quite sure, is, is this the right trail? If you were out and it was kind of dark out and you're a little nervous and wondering about the right way to go, uh, you might not be able to conduct yourselves because the path isn't clear. I want to be an individual that leaves a clear path for others to follow because I'm following Christ himself. You're looking too far for that need you have inside. You're on a big merry-go-round and it's taking you for a ride. You've got to let go and let go. Welcome to The Cleansing Word. We invite you to stay with us as Pastor John Pinnell of Calvary Chapel Lake Villa takes us through a verse-by-verse study from God's Word. Each Monday through Friday, we'll be airing messages to encourage you in your faith that you might grow in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. I hope that you enjoy this broadcast and I'll return at the close of this teaching to give you more information about our church and how you can obtain a copy of this message. Now here's Pastor John with today's message from God's Word. Kind of been looking forward to Romans chapter 8, all because of one verse. One verse that we all know fairly well, which is Romans 8, 1, that says, Therefore, There is now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus, who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. So no condemnation, the title of our passage for today. And it's a verse that we know fairly well. There is no condemnation. But did you know that here in Romans chapter 8 that Paul spends a bit of time teaching about the work of the Holy Spirit In the first 27 verses of this chapter, he mentions the Holy Spirit 20 times. Only one of those times, although the New King James and the King James will capitalize the word spirit if they uh, believe that it's being directed toward God, and they'll leave it a lowercase if they believe it's directed toward man. There's only one of those situations of the 20 where it's like, yeah, that may be talking about God. It could be talking about man there. All the rest, for sure, talking about God, the Holy Spirit, here in Romans chapter 8. So a pretty impactful teaching on the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. And we find that Paul referring to the Holy Spirit 20 times, speaking of the characteristics of the Holy Spirit, in verses 2 and 10, he says, He is the Spirit of life. In verse 9, 11, and 14, the Spirit of God. In verse 9, the spirit of Christ. In verse 15, the spirit of adoption. And then the ministry of the Holy Spirit, Paul shares about in verse 2, the law of the spirit. In verse 5, the things of the spirit. In verse 16, the witness of the spirit. In verse 23, the first fruits of the spirit. In verse 26, the intercession of the spirit. In verse 27, the mind of the spirit. And in response to the person And the ministry of the Holy Spirit. Believers are to, verses 1 and 4, walk in the Spirit. Verses 5 and 13, live according to the Spirit. 
Verse 6, be spiritually minded. And verse 14, be led by the Spirit. You know, all these great characteristics and all that the Holy Spirit does in the life of a believer, it causes us to, well, it should cause us to take courage, knowing that the Holy Spirit not only indwells us, as we read in verses 9 and 11, but empowers us to have victory over the struggles of our own flesh. So I hope that this is an encouraging chapter to you. For me, it personally has that flare of if God is for us, who could possibly be against us? God, the Holy Spirit indwelling in us, that we have such a benefit that the Lord has given us as believers in Jesus Christ. And Paul makes that clear here in chapter 8. We're going to see a message that I entitled from Romans 8, verses 1 through 17, No Condemnation. We will look at the law of the Spirit in verses 1 through 4, the spiritually minded in verses 5 through 8, and the Spirit of Christ, verses 9 and 11, and the Spirit of Adoption, verses 12 through 17. I'm going to open us up in our first point and read uh, verses 1 through 4, looking at the law of the Spirit. Romans 8, verse 1 says, There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus, who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. For the law of the Spirit of the life in Christ Jesus has made me free from the law of sin and death. For what the law could not do in that it was weak through the flesh, God did by sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh, on account of sin, he condemned sin in the flesh, that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us, who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. And Father, I pray that you would bless us, Lord, as we look at these verses from Romans 8 this morning. I pray, Father, that you would encourage us as believers in Jesus Christ to know that, Lord, that you are for us to know that there is no condemnation, to know that your spirit not only dwells in us, but gives us power that we might gain victory over our flesh and serve you, Lord, in this world that we live in, we pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. Because of the law of the spirit, we have been freed from the law of sin and death, as he mentions in verses one and two, saying there is no condemnation. And it takes us back to Romans seven twenty-five which tells us Jesus being our deliverer because Jesus is our deliverer as he cries out in verse 24 of chapter 7. O wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? And then he says in verse 25, I thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then with the mind, I myself serve the law of God and with the flesh, the law of sin. It takes us back to this thought of no condemnation because of the work of Jesus Christ and his deliverance that he has made available to us because of his work upon the cross, his death, burial, and resurrection. That as believers, we are victorious through faith in the work of Jesus. And because of that, there is no condemnation to those of us who are in Christ Jesus. As believers, we then are to walk according to the Spirit as we've been made free from the law of sin and death. We looked at this word law last week from the Greek, speaking about the Mosaic law, the law of sin, the law of death. 
It's all the same Greek word when it's referring to law. It could either refer to law, a principle, or a rule. He speaks about two of those laws here in verses 1 and 2. And we first find that there's the law of the spirit of life. And the law of the spirit of life refers to the Holy Spirit, the third person of the triunity who gave mankind physical life before the fall, but also gives us spiritual life to those who put their faith in Jesus Christ. The Holy Spirit gave us life. And we read in Job 33.4. I love this verse. It doesn't come from Job. It comes from not even Job's three friends. There is a fourth friend, Elihu, that came and talked in that situation. And God didn't mention him. Job didn't mention him. But what he said is here in the text, he seems to be a young man. But I really love this verse because he declared in Job 33, 4, the spirit of God has made me and the breath of the Almighty has given me life. The word tells us that God breathed into man life. The breath of the Almighty has given me life. The spirit of God, there helping to form physical man. He breathed in the breath of life. And Jesus referring to both the physical side of man, the spiritual side of man. And John 3, verses 5 and 6 said, Most assuredly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot see the kingdom of God. And that which is born of the flesh is flesh. That which is born of the Spirit is spirit. God the Holy Spirit at work in creation, breathing life into mankind, giving us physical life, but also God the Holy Spirit at work in salvation, the redemption of mankind, breathing life into us. That's the law of the Spirit of life. He is the Spirit of life, God the Holy Spirit. And also the law, the principle, the rule of sin and death. It is called the law of or the principle of sin and death, because sin produces death. It's what sin does. It's what it did there at the fall in the Garden of Eden, where God had warned in Genesis 2.17, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat, for the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. Sin produced death, and it produces death in us because James 1.14 and 15 tells us, but each one is tempted when he is drawn away by his own desires and enticed. Then when desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is full grown, brings forth death. Sin produced death there at the fall in the Garden of Eden. Sin produces death as each one of us has a choice how we're going to conduct ourselves in this life. Last week, we kind of looked at this when I spoke about our inherited spot from Adam and Eve because of sin we have a sin nature because they fell and they are our forefathers we have a sin nature our spot we're all born with this spot we could say uh, a birthmark it's not a good birthmark but it's the birthmark we have nonetheless that we have our spot our sin nature but also the blemishes those things that we personally do those sins that we commit that causes blemishes upon our lives. And without the covering of Jesus' blood, sin produces death. But thanks be to God, 
1 John 1, 7, the blood of Jesus Christ cleanses us from all sin. Although sin produces death, and it's the law of sin and death, the blood of Jesus Christ cleanses us from all sin. In verses 3 and 4, we find what the law could not do, and that it was weak through the flesh. God did by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh. On account of sin, he condemned sin in the flesh, that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. The failure is not God's. The commandment in Romans seven twelve. the commandment is good, just, and holy. The failure is not God's or God's law, but it's in our inability to keep the law. Thus, the law is weak through the flesh. Not that the law is weak, but we are weak, unable to fulfill the law. Sure, if we think about the law and we think about only the Ten Commandments, no doubt we can keep some of the Ten, but not all of the Ten. If we add to it what they have, the Jews have said concerning the law of God, that they counted there's 613 commandments in all that the Lord has given us in the Old Covenant, then that even makes it a greater impossibility for us to keep all 613 laws. That's why when Jesus ministered, they asked Jesus, what is the important laws? And that's what the Jews taught. They realized we can't keep all 613 laws. So what if we keep the top laws? What if we keep the most important of God's laws? And then the question is, well, what is the most important of God's laws? How do you come about to figure out what is the most important? Of course, Jesus responding to those questions saying, here it is all summed up in two rules. Love the Lord God with all your heart, soul, mind, and spirit, and also love your neighbor as yourself. If you would do these, you will keep all the commandments. It's a matter of love, but we fail in these areas. Therefore, God sent Jesus in the likeness of sinful flesh. He was in the likeness of sinful flesh and in that he looked like us. He was birthed like us, except for uh, the heavenly father being the father of Jesus Christ. But Paul wrote it this way in Galatians 4, 4 and 5. When the fullness of time have come, God sent forth a son born of a woman born under the law, to redeem those who are under the law, that we might receive the adoption as sons. And the purpose of God sending Jesus, because of our inability to meet the righteous requirements of the law, Jesus did for us what we could not do for ourselves. Though he came in our likeness, he was without sin, and therefore he was able to pay the debt of our sins. Jesus said in Matthew 5, 17, Do not think that I came to destroy the law or the prophets. I did not come to destroy, but to fulfill. Jesus fulfilled everything, all the requirements of the law, all that God required of us that we could not do. Jesus came and did it in our behalf. In Romans 6, 10 and 11, it tells us, For the death that he died, he died to sin once for all. And the life that he lives, he lives to God. Likewise, you also reckon yourselves to be dead indeed to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus our Lord. 
Everything hinges on Jesus. The in Christ Jesus our Lord, it's a Greek word, it's spelled E-N, E-N, we would pronounce it the same way, we spell it I-N, but it's all pivoting on Jesus, that we are in Christ Jesus, and we find that it's here in our text as well as we've looked here in Romans chapter 8, that it is the spirit of life, verse 2, in Christ Jesus, everything pivoting on Jesus Christ. And although Jesus paid the debt of our sins through his death upon the cross, his sacrifice must be applied in life-saving faith. It is his work, his word, and his worth, Jesus Christ. And Paul refers to that, that the righteous requirements of the laws might be fulfilled in us who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. That Greek word for walk there means to tread all around. It speaks about the way we conduct ourselves in life. When I was a a kid growing up, we lived next door to woods. We were the last house at the end of a street, and there was a creek that ran through at the end of our street, probably about five to 800 feet down from the end of the road. I guess the county decided it wasn't worth putting a bridge in for just three houses. And so we were isolated down there. It was a great place to grow up. The street went on. You could, you know, cross the creek and find the road picking up on the other side, but it never went through. Still to this day, it's a dead-end street down there. But it was a great place to grow up. And prior to my mom passing away and just as an adult walking through some of the old trails that I used to walk through, I discovered that they were no longer trodden down. I remembered where the paths were, and some of it because of the creek and flooding, things changed. And it wasn't quite the way it used to be because the banks got washed out and it kind of rerouted itself. But I knew where our trails were, and when I was growing up there, we had trails. It was trails from foot traffic, from bicycle traffic, from mini bikes, from motorcycles. It was the way that all the boys in all the town would find their way. They may not have known that I lived there, but if they were riding a mini bike or a motorcycle, they found their way through our yard. My dad didn't like this part of it, but it was part of the trail. It was beaten down, it was crushed down. It's a a walkabout, they might say in Australia. It's that which is beaten down to walk, to tread down all around. And it means the way we conduct ourselves. You can tell areas that have those paths. We see them out here, perhaps from my grandsons, but I see them more so from the paths of deer, coyote. They have their trails around here. And you see those cutting through. We should have that walk in such a a way that it is a path that speaks about. And it should be such a way that for the adults, we should be able to say to our children, our grandchildren, walk this way. Just walk the path that I've been on. Because I'm walking the path of those of faith before me. A path that's been long trodden down, first by the feet of Jesus. But it speaks about also the way we conduct ourselves in this life. In Colossians 2, 6, As you therefore have received Christ Jesus, the Lord, so walk in him. It speaks about how we conduct ourselves. And are we leaving a clear path 
for others to follow? Or is it kind of one of those paths when I went back to my home as a man and looking for those paths that I walked through when I was a child, no longer were they clear? And there are Christians out there that I I think there are Christians out there that they don't leave a clear path. You're not quite sure, is, is this the right trail if you were out and it was kind of dark out and you're a little nervous and wondering about the right way to go? Uh, you might not be able to conduct yourselves because the path isn't clear. I want to be an individual that leaves a clear path for others to follow because I'm following Christ himself. And so Paul tells us the law of the spirit of life in Christ, everything hinging on Jesus Christ, the law of the spirit of life in Christ has made us free from the law of sin and death. We also find that we are to be spiritually minded, verses 5 through 8 The context tells us, verse 5, For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the Spirit, the things of the Spirit. For to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace, because the carnal mind is enmity against God, for it is not subject to the law of God, nor indeed can be. So then, Those who are not in the flesh cannot please God. Let me see if I read that right in verse 8. So then, those who are in the flesh cannot please God. I thought I threw an extra word in there. Made it not make sense. But I'm getting older and the print on my Bible, it's getting smaller. I don't get it. It Makes it more difficult. That's why I pick up the Bible to read it now. I used to not have to do that. So we find that we are to be spiritually minded. He really talks about that in verse 5, the life in the spirit. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, and those who live according to the spirit, the things of the spirit. He gives us contrast here between unbelievers and believers. The unbelievers, he begins with, he says, they set their mind on the things of the flesh. We might say that Filling or fulfilling fleshly appetites is all they think about. On the other hand, believers are to live according to the Spirit, the things of the Spirit. In Galatians 6, 8, it tells us, He who sows to the flesh will of the flesh reap corruption, but he who sows to the Spirit will of the Spirit reap everlasting life. And though we live in this world and we conduct ourselves in this world, We have come to realize that we are not of this world. And so we are to have a different mindset than the rest of the world. I don't know about you, but I I have one, partly because uh, I get free shipping through some major corporation that sends you stuff all over the world that you can get it in a day's time, whatever you order. Uh, You guys know who I'm talking about, but... We have that prime deal because we want the free shipping. It comes with free TV, movies that you can watch. And every once in a while, I'm looking for something to watch. And and I have to tell you that I'm not attracted to the things, not only that they're making available, but it seems like what they're producing today, they're just not attracting to me. There have been some uh, final episodes of some pretty big followings that just happened that I've never even seen one of the episodes of the six seasons that they've aired. 
because it doesn't attract me. It's the things of the flesh, the things of the world, and what the world is going after. And I want to minister to the things of the Spirit in my spirit. Jesus said in John 17, 14 through 17, I've given them your word, and the world has hated them because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. And then he prays, I do not pray that you take them out of the world, but that you should keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. Isn't that interesting? We might say, Lord, just take us out. Lord, can't we just be done with this and get on to the eternal glory of heaven? But Jesus didn't pray that for his disciples, for his followers. In that great priestly prayer of John 17, he says to the Lord, his father, I do not pray that you should take them out of the world, but that you should keep them from the evil one. And the way that we can help in the process of keeping from the evil one, realizing what we're sowing to. If we're sowing to the flesh, then that of the flesh will reap corruption. If we're sowing to the spirit, then of the spirit we will reap life. Calvary Chapel is a fellowship of believers in the Lordship of Jesus Christ. Our greatest desire is to know Christ and to be conformed into His image by the power of His Holy Spirit. If you would like more information about Calvary Chapel, or if you would like a copy of today's message, please contact us at 847-265-0646. That's 847-265-0646. Thank you so much for joining us today, and may the Lord richly bless you as you worship Him today.